Hello and welcome to First 7 Inch Club episode 78. First 7 Inch Club is a podcast where we dig up 7 inches from the past within the realms of hardcore punk and metal and discuss whether or not they're worth being remembered. We'll also provide facts and trivia that we get from the internet and our own personal experiences. Although we don't personally consider ourselves know-it-alls or experts, many other people do. Uh, we may get some things wrong from time to time. And, uh, you know, there's nothing you can really do about that. I think there's going to be a lot of ears uh, connected to this record that are going to be oh, listening. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Today, so, for sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to be on my best. But uh, some could say I'm going to be on my Sunday's best. But <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I'll probably get some shit wrong. I'm Mike, and with me is Scott. Mike, I was so distracted and, and hell-bent on procrastination this week, which mm-hmm. is why I'm going to do a bad job today. But um, I decided to just read some comments on some demented boomer post. <laughs> and someone in the thread said something like, you know, he fixes his own car without looking at the internet because the internet is full of people who will lead you astray, which is true. Like that's yeah. a real statement. And he concluded by saying, I probably saved over 500 bucks by not listening to these time, space and peace thieves. So I grant <laughs> our listeners this excellent new phrase. Uh, it could be a right wing thing. I don't know, but I want it for us. So I want us to take it back. Time, space and peace thieves like sends a shiver through my body. That's such a nice phrase. Uh <laughs> Fuck all the time, space, and peace thieves. I'm just gonna I'm gonna fix my car off the top of my head this week in honor <laughs> of that phrase. Um, I also wanted to let everyone know that my diet Pepsi collection is really coming along. <laughs> it's really coming together. Uh, this week, eBay recommended me a cool pin that says, "I'm trying, I'm trying." Diet Pepsi, and <laughs> I can't, I can't find anything about that campaign, but it must have been a really fucking sad year in america but naturally i bought that no hesitation i bought that pin immediately cost me a little bit too much money and now my collection it's really it's really coming along it's currently that amazing pin and a cool hawaiian print diet pepsi hat that couldn't possibly fit any human head it's shaped like a rugby ball (laughs) i feel really i feel like one of remember those hot dog dipping places in the malls and they had to wear those cone hats yeah that's what it looks like when I wear it, and it makes me feel even worse than I already feel most of the time when I'm out walking around. So that I'm trying, pain. It can mean I think it could mean either two things. I look to I couldn't find anything, but yeah. as I said, I think last week about my my Pepsi cookbook. Um, I think there was a real push for women to try Diet Pepsi. So it could either mean I'm trying, as in I'm trying Diet Pepsi, or it could mean I'm trying because I'm fat and I need to lose weight. So, <laughs> yeah. and I think it's B. I think I honestly I think it's probably B. It was probably yeah an ill advised campaign they did where. I'm trying to lose weight by drinking Diet Pepsi, and I'm sure somebody in legal was like, "We can't, we can't do this. This is a bad marketing campaign. Uh, we'll get in trouble." You got to get out ahead of it. You have to, if you have the nerve to be walking yeah. around out there fat like me, you got to reassure people you're on it. Drinking, <laughs> drinking plenty of Diet Pepsi. This will let them know I'm working on it. Uh, but yeah, if you want to reach us, you can do so at first seven inch club at gmail.com or first seven inch club on Instagram. That's all letters. Post a lot of cool stuff on Instagram. And, uh, you know, all the pertinent info for this episode and every other episode, all the scans, where you can find it, all that shit. There's also a link tree with all our other stuff, like our YouTube channel, where all the records get ripped. And you can also see the scans and any other info you need. So uh, just check out First 7-Inch Club. Um, a lot of good posts, a lot of good, lot of good engagement over the last uh, yeah. two days, I think, Mike posted. 900 flyers all, all at once, or, or yeah. like, a, or the maximum rock and roll scans, and it really yeah, seemed people, to light up the room. People really like the scans because it, br- it brings them back to a simpler time. Yeah. Uh, but I just had a quick thing, um, and then we could get into all our, our promotions and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. this is kind of like no one cares about this. This is just me trying to, to brag because I did <laughs> something, and I'm very proud of it. And it's not anything anybody would care about. But um, earlier uh, last week sometime, or 
there was a, a Twitter tweet. Somebody tweeted, uh, this is the worst TV theme song I've ever heard. Yeah. And it was a video for a, a short-lived show called Maggie Briggs. Yep. That was uh, on for like four episodes starring Suzanne Plachette to uh, go along with our 80s icons that no one knows anymore. <laughs> Suzanne Plachette is all up there. Yeah. Seemed like a real boring show. Seemed She worked at a newspaper and that was about it. <laughs> yep. That was the plot. She worked at a newspaper. Um, and the, the, you know, the theme song, it's not great. I don't think it's the worst ever. Uh, maybe Scott could put it in the bed music. I think somebody, I don't know if it's somebody in the Discord. We have a Discord, too. That's starting to be populated more with actual people who want to talk about music instead of yeah. wrestling. So yeah. uh, if you are if you are thick-skinned and want to talk about music and are into Discord, uh, come join. There are also comic books, all man-child shit. A lot of man-child <laughs> channels in there. But uh, anyways, the, the theme song, I think somebody in the Discord said it, or maybe I just imagined it, or somebody else somewhere said it. But it sounds like uh, Bobby McFerrin. But if Bobby McFerrin was actual instruments, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has that kind of vibe to it, the Bobby McFerrin music vibe. So It sounds like all Bobby McFerrin songs at once, though, because they use every <laughs> chord. It's really, it almost sounds like when AI was first getting its legs <laughs> underneath it, and it was still a little random sounding. It's pretty... Yeah, it's so it's not, I wouldn't say it's the worst. It's just very odd and it's very odd for like kind of such a mild sitcom about uh, some lady working in a newspaper, yeah. but it's not horrible. But anyways, I shared this with the uh, the kissing contest group chat. And we we're talking about it. And um, I think I looked on the IMDb page to, to read more about it. And I noticed it was directed by, by a man named Peter Boners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Peter Boners. And it's Boners with a Z to make it even more <laughs> hilarious. So I was like, I got to find out more about this Peter Boners. And I think I think we actually ended We talked about this years ago on an episode of Kissing Contest. And I just forgot about it. But he did like he directed a lot of television, a lot of television in the 80s. Uh, yep. Not many movies, but he did a, did a handful of movies. I think his most well-known movie is a movie called Police Academy Part 6, which is uh, not the best Police Academy. That's probably the sixth best one, if you were going to be honest. Um, but he did a couple other movies. One was called Nobody's Perfect, which Scott was actually familiar with yeah. before I even watched it. And so so is this like a, this was, I'm assuming this was like an old school HBO movie. Am I correct? Yeah, it's not beloved or anything, but I no. liked all those uh, movies where like, you know, there's a Michael Keaton one. There's a bunch of movies where like a whack pack. Yeah. Like mental patients escapes and goes on, you know, like some sort of journey through the city. Yeah. I watched all of them. Flashes yeah. of it definitely came back to me. It's got a, a <laughs> Mr. Carter. Mr. Carter is one of them. Yeah. Um, has yeah. Gabe Kaplan and has Richard Klein and has a, is a, a Peter George Harris. It's the guy who played George in Webster. Mm -hmm. um, he's an old Alex Karras. Yeah. Alex Karras. Yeah. Alex yeah. Karras. And uh, yeah, they're all, they're all mentals. Uh, Gabe Kaplan. <laughs> Gabe Kaplan's the, uh, he's the main one and his yeah. deal is he forgets everything. And Alex Harris talks to his mom, his imaginary mom. She's not actually there. Mm -hmm. And Richard Klein uh, has multiple personality disorder. Yeah. And uh, it's it's like, yeah, it's not funny. It's very dull. It's like moves at such a slow pace. It's supposed to be like a wacky comedy, and it takes so long to go anywhere. It also stars Mam from Webster too. So it's George yeah. and Mam together. And she was a she was a babe in that. And I always mm -hmm. thought she was kind of like mom looking in Webster. And it wasn't that far far different. It's very vertical in Webster. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was just like she was a victim of 80s fashion in Webster. Yeah. It wasn't like she was unattractive. She just uh, 
didn't didn't pick the greatest look for, for Webster because no. she's she's definitely a babe and, and nobody's perfect. Um, but yeah, actually, the, all the letterbox reviews are like, this is like, uh, you know, this is problematic. It's making fun of you know people with uh, illnesses and so on. Like, fuck <laughs> off, man. This is from the early eighties. It's like a wacky, movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like a wacky fun. comedy. Like I when I I read the reviews before I watched it and I was like. Oh boy, this is gonna be real bad. Yeah. And uh, like, I thought like Richard Klein was gonna have like a black guy personality or something like that. No, it's it's not that bad. It's just like <laughs> back then you could do movies like that. And it was it was lighthearted. It wasn't like making fun of illness or anything. Get off your fucking soapbox. But anyways, there's one other movie um, that was listed on on Litterbox, and, and uh, Peter Boners must have had a uh, he must have a sense of humor about his name because the movie is called Sharing Richard. Which is uh, Peter Boners <laughs> presents sharing dick basically, yep. and that's that's actually what the movie's about. It's a made-for-TV movie about uh, three you know '80s like working like you know progressive working women who all sh- like date the same guy, and that was kind of taboo back then. Like woo, and uh, it's basically that's the whole plot. It's very boring, and uh, I noticed on Letterboxd it had zero reviews. Wow. And I was like, this is it. I'm going to find this movie and I'm going to watch it so I could be the only person to ever review this movie. And that is exactly what I did. It's um, it's a bizarre movie. It's um, it's not worth seeking out. <laughs> it's uh, like the only version that exists is like a rip straight from television. Like you get the Tuesday night, CBS Tuesday night television promos and shit like that in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like a straight VHS rip. And it's, it's, it's so oddly shot, shot like a... Folgers commercial or something where like every every scene is like a new thing like every scene is you know a couple people talking in a, an outfit like all wearing different outfits and then the next scene will not even be connected to that scene another few people talking in all different outfits so there's like no concept of time in this movie because like every scene people are wearing different outfits than they did the last time you saw them and they're never like oh it's Tuesday or anything like that so it's just like <laughs> this like just sequence of scenes of people wearing clothes and chatting about dates and stuff like that it's very odd it's very boring wouldn't recommend it but i just wanted to pat myself on the back for being the first person to ever review this on letterboxd if you're on if you're a letterboxd person please follow me i'll follow you back i love letterboxd my favorite social media mike dick on letterboxd m-i-k-e-d-i-k-k um but yeah so now anytime anybody has to look up sharing richard uh, i am their only reference point for this movie and that uh (laughs) makes me feel important makes me feel strong and it makes me feel powerful and i like feeling all those things yeah and uh you're welcome the world i did the job for you i watched sharing richard by peter boners i'm really really surprised that it's not a hobby to seek out zero reviews uh letterbox and just yeah. just be there that you could still find these little uh nooks and crannies i mean i, I feel like that's just because you could change history you, yeah. you've changed history usually when you find them it's like a foreign movie and it's like oh whatever like, cause it's like some fucking bullshit that's gonna be a pain in the ass to find, and it's gonna suck, and the subtitles are gonna suck if there's even subtitles. So this is the first time I've ever stumbled upon a zero review American-made movie, even if it was a TV movie. But still, I was. Uh, but it, the only thing that sucks is I wanted to complete the Peter Boner's filmography. I wanted a hundred percent Peter <laughs> Boner's because it tells you like it gives you a percentage of like somebody's movies you've seen if they're a director, or actor, or something. But there's like weird shit that's like other people listed and didn't review like. He filmed the pilot for a Julie Brown TV show. I'm never going to see that. I'm never going to be able to 100% Peter Boners because of that. So uh, thanks a lot, asshole, who put that up there. I felt the need to put it up there and not review it because now uh, I'm never going to finish it. But yeah, um, you're welcome, world. I did, <laughs> I did everybody a favor. Uh, but anyways, to get on to the promotional part of the show, we usually recommend a record from our friends, uh, the distro State of Mind Recordings, State of Mind Recordings 
rockbottomprices.com. You can find a lot of records at rock bottom prices there. A lot of records from your youths. And uh, just old ass records for like old ass distro prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, flat fee, mm-hmm. $4 shipping. Just 100 records for $4. I don't really know if you get 100. I'm just saying that. But they're real cheap. Real cheap. <laughs> Look this place up. You're, you might find some gems you forgot about. But usually a highlight one. We're not going to do that this time because... Uh, Dave over at uh, at State of Mind Recordings had an idea where we do kind of a secret Santa thing. He had this a little before Christmas, but he had it like a little before Christmas where it would be impossible to pull off before Christmas. So, uh, yeah. but uh, he wanted us to like each pick out a seven inch for the other the other host, and then uh, we'll open it on here. I didn't do that; I already opened my package, but uh, we'll, we'll pretend. So, and uh, then like we'll review it in another episode we're not going to do full reviews on these seven inches we are going to review them next episode but there'll be like little capsule reviews little 10 15 minute bursts in lieu of uh me talking about my stupid accomplishments and scott talking about <laughs> fucking soda we'll actually do, do some more more reviews um so what i didn't like i did open it but what i didn't do was like look up any info or anything so i'm completely in the dark about this yeah scott got me a record by a band called spore on Tang, on Tang Records. Uh, I'm familiar with Tang Records. I don't think I've ever heard of Spore in my life. This is also a picture disc. I assume at one point Scott said that it was a 7-inch, but it's now in picture disc form. Uh, yep. the, the It says 1993 Tang Records, so I'm going to assume this falls into the Sam Black Church wheelhouse, but Scott, please enlighten me on the Spore record and what, sh- what I should expect from it. Uh, this is, you know, I, I'm so honored that you get to enjoy the 10 inch picture disc version of this. <laughs> <laughs> I only have the humble black uh, seven inch, the plain old seven inch black vinyl. Um, and it's definitely one of those uh, of the era dollar bin <laughs> staples or maybe even freebies. I might even just, you know, uh, Music Shack was the store that would always have free stuff as you walked in and out. And this might have been free in the box, like it was probably on its way to the trash. I saved it. Um, <laughs> I would classify it as, I guess, noise rock, a little bit silly. Okay. But it's one of those things that because I had it, I forced myself. Uh, this is going to be a theme today. Uh, that I owned it, so I <laughs> made myself enjoy it. And now I kind of do. It's got some things going for it. I think if you sit down with it, you know, you, you, no one's under any duress to do this. But if you sit down with it, I think you can find some layers to it that are interesting. But I think it's a... A very bizarre, uh, very bizarre record, and I couldn't believe that it was just sitting there in picture disc form. I, you know, <laughs> I want to know all about the picture when you when you finally get into it. Okay, uh, it's a real piece of work, and I received uh, thematic to today for a number of reasons. Yep, <laughs> uh, all out war, hymns of the apocalypse, and um, I'm just gonna say that you know, all out war is a puzzle for me, an ongoing puzzle for me. <laughs> like in my so I'm so. I'm, we don't have to really get into this too deep because this will be next week, obviously. But in my head, the flyer is like All Out War, Scarhead, Fury of Five, <laughs> Dying Breed, Blood for Blood, a.k.a. the flyers that I overlooked for 10 years. Like, I don't even see those. And, uh, and it's just really puzzling to me that everybody I know from Kingston who was very normal, like just they're not pipe fitters. They're not cement factory workers. They're just people getting through their day and they all have all out war shirts and so i can't wait to find out what's going it's got to be pretty accessible i'm assuming it's a very accessible yeah. good time rock and roll and i can't wait to hear it well yeah we, we've mentioned all out war if this is your first time listening kind of an inside joke on this this uh podcast about how uh it's basically the hudson valley's kind of like uh the the, the icons of hudson valley the michael jordan it's like the, the bruce springsteen the bruce springsteen <laughs> you go into a house and and hudson valley and you're gonna see a painting of martin luther king <laughs> 
JFK and All Out War. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> so, Mama uh, crosses herself every time she walks past it. <laughs> so I figured uh, we, we should at least do a little little mini review of All Out War on that. And it's actually on. Uh, it wasn't originally released on Trip Machine, okay. but it's uh, now being, I guess, released on Trip Machine. This is a- allegedly the final press that uh, Scott has now. But I think on the back of this record, I could be wrong. But it looks a lot like the singer of today's band is on the back of this record. Oh, you could be. You know, I, I don't really know. It's been a long time since I've seen this record in real life, so you're, yeah. it's very possible. So yeah, somebody's jumping over the crowd to get to the mic, and it looks quite a bit like a okay. today's singer. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, today's record is by a band called Drowning Room. Uh, if you're a child, you might pronounce it Drowning Room, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really Drowning Room. Uh, and their record, the divinity, the the now I'm a child, uh, the divinity syndrome. Uh, from 1996 on Trip Machine Laboratories out of uh, Trip Machines also out of the Poughkeepsie area. So it's Drowning Room. They're out of uh, Wappingers Falls or yep. uh, Newburgh, that area. Yep. And uh, and uh, yeah, this was recommended or, or actually forced upon me by Pat, <laughs> listener Pat. He actually sent this to me in the mail. He sent a letter with it, but the letter pretty much pertains to the other record that he sent. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, if we ever get to the other record, which we will. I'm not going to leave this dude hanging. He said this fucking record. So we'll we'll do it eventually, but it's it's getting a little New York centric. Next week's gonna be another New York band too, and all out war too. So it's a lot of New York shit going on. So so it'll be a few few weeks before we get to his other record. But he just said he kind of got this from somebody for review or something that somebody just didn't want it, and he was like, he's so this is like a hand me down to a hand me down. But mm-hmm. uh, little Pat, no, I own this in my youth, and we'll talk about <laughs> that. But but uh, Pat to to shout him out, he just started up a distro called Ground Zero Ground Zero Salem. At, uh, it's a big cartel store, so groundzerosalem.bigcartel.com. I think he does other shit with that name too, but I, this, this distro is new. He's uh, selling some cool shit. He, he was selling, I missed it, and he's selling some Left 4 Dead Acrid Buzzsaw records, and I have a few of those, but he had a couple colors I didn't have, and I missed those out. But there's a lot of death metal shit on here, CDs, records, a bunch of stuff. Check out groundzerosalem.bigcartel.com. He was also on that Analog Attack, What Are You Listening To show, I think uh, at least a, one or two times, so check out analog attack but back to this drowning room uh so he has no real connection to drowning room uh, i however do have a connection to drowning room so uh, <laughs> uh so drowning room was one of the first bands that like i kind of like became acquaintances with outside of people i already knew so like you know i mean by so i basically from going to shows like i met them through going to shows and basically just sean i like i said hi to the other guys but i didn't really know him and uh, this was a lifetime ago i haven't talked to sean and fucking since i was a teenager probably so it's not like we have a deep bond or anything like that <laughs> um but you know it was like back then so it was like you know like weird to be like oh this is like a guy you know that's in a band so it was kind of weird um but outside of that, connected to this show, the Trip Machine follows our Instagram account. He already said that he's going to be listening to this episode, so now I'm I'm pretty nervous. We're gonna we're gonna fuck up. And <laughs> and uh, another secret kind of drowning room connect is that uh, this dude Jeff used to be like their kind of de facto manager, and he also follows our account. I don't think I don't think he listens to the show. I don't even think he knows it's a show. He, he follows like seven thousand people on Instagram, so. I, don't, I mean, maybe he'll see me post Drowning Room and he'll, he'll try and listen or something, but I don't think so. He was another dude I knew back in the day. He probably doesn't remember me. I don't really care. Like I said, I was a teenager at the time. It was a long fucking time ago. So, so, uh, but you know, it was just one of those things. It was like, uh, like, oh, I know this band and they're like, cool. And they're also, even though they were from 
technically the Poughkeepsie area, they're kind of de facto Connecticut band. I think they mm-hmm. were kind of more more popular. So uh, they played Connecticut all the time. They're always in Connecticut. And, you know, if you aren't don't know the geography, Newburgh is like, you know, the border of Connecticut, basically. So it's just like, you know, you could spit and hit Connecticut. So <laughs> it's not it's not like they're driving hundreds of miles to be in Connecticut or anything like that. Um Another personal story before I get into the band. Uh, this is like the funniest personal story I could find. Like I said, I was a teen when, um, you know, when Drowning Room was a thing. I think I was like 17, probably, maybe 18. Yeah, probably like between 17 and 18. 17 and 19, maybe, is when, you know, the Drowning Room the drowning room era was happening, I guess you would say. And uh, that was like when me and my friends got like our first tattoos and, uh, we had we had this one friend named I bleep that out. I don't want to dox so just bleep that out. Change it to something. Change it to George or something. But Man. but we had this we had this one friend that uh, he was like all my friends were kind of just like shitty dudes, like shitty dudes and shitty girls, like just like dudes, like like I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean like we're all like broken individuals, like kids from bad yeah. bad places and stuff like that. And uh, not fuck, I fucked. This kid <laughs> and this kid, this kid was not, he was like, he was, he was pretty well adjusted and, uh, but he wanted, you know, he wanted to be, he wanted to be part of, part of our little crew for some reason, which I wouldn't like, if I was a well adjusted person, I would not, I would want to, I would want to <laughs> hang out with other well adjusted people and be successful. Yeah. But, but, you know, I don't know nothing about that, but, but, uh, so like after we got all tattoos, uh, he he got a drowning room tattoo, which is real weird because like wow. I don't think he ever expressed like high interest towards drowning room, um, and it was also like like I I got a, my first tattoo was a chokehold tattoo, but it was like chokehold is still a very meaningful band to me, mm-hmm. and uh, no offense to drowning room, but even when I was a teen, I was like. I don't think drowning room is going to be like a big thing in my life. Like I don't think I'm going to be 40 years old talking about drowning room, but here I am. I'm talking about drowning room right now. You passed 40, but uh, otherwise if I wasn't doing a podcast, I don't think I'd be talking about drowning room. And I, you know, I, I was aware enough at that teenage to be like, I want to get a drowning room tattoo. Luckily it doesn't say drowning room. Drowning room had like a little logo. It was just like a crucified man kind of logo. So, uh, I don't know. It's a lot like the Dave Matthews band logo actually. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's Dave Matthews band logo. I don't know if this, dude ever got that covered up i i would hope so we're facebook friends but i don't really talk to him last time i saw him was about 12 years ago i was in rhode island because i briefly lived in providence and i was on a cocktail of drugs and uh saw him in in a dave and not a dave and but is it dave and busters yeah i think it was a dave and busters the place with the arcade now it was the place with the arcade the adult arcade dave and busters yeah. i saw him there and i was like freaking out like on drugs and uh I was like, this dude, like he, this is not a different state. And like, like, I was just like, I couldn't like parse in my head why I was seeing a dude from high school in a different state. But, uh, but that was the last time I saw him or even talked to him. So I don't really know. I hope he got it covered up, but it, it was on his ankle anyway. So I don't think it was like, it's a big deal if he doesn't get it covered up. We all have bad to- tattoos, so it doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. I always like, I always think about that. I need, I really associate that with drowning room just being like, that was, that's a bad idea. Don't, don't do that. But, but anyways, <laughs> uh, we will get into the band now. Enough of my personal stories. I think I think uh, Scott has some connection to these guys too, so I won't I won't hog it all up. Yeah. Um, I kind of purposely, like I said, there's gonna be a lot of errors on this episode. I think so. I kind of purposely just did like some kind of surface level digging, and because uh, I don't want to get anything wrong, so I didn't want to get go go too deep. That's Scott's job. He's the one. 
mm-hmm. who uh, he's on the dark web. So uh, these are <laughs> these are just pretty normal facts. I think Drowning Room. There's somebody I fucking forgot to link it in my notes, but there was a there's like some bio on some weird site that uh, had all this info. But they started around '94, lasted till '98. Um, which I did like for in my mind, if you asked me before we did this, I would have said like, uh, drowning room went into the two thousands, but I was very wrong. Yeah. They stopped in 98. Uh, they've done a couple of reunion shows, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, it's, uh, their, their, their bio, which I unfortunately didn't link, uh, had, it says like, you know, it talks about how like they started, which is a normal story, blah, blah, blah. And then it says they put out this record, this divinity syndrome record. They had a record before this too. They had a, a split with a, a band called Vale from Moo Cow, which uh, we talked about their uh, Moo Cow guy, Ian recently mm-hmm. passed, uh, rest in peace, Ian. And, uh, that was like, I think my first Moo, Moo Cow thing I own, but I don't think they talk about the, the bio. They talk about this record though. They talk about the divinity syndrome and they talk about how it instantly sold out. And, uh, that's cool. And then it's, it's just like, it talks about how they released a full length, uh, called it's true love always yep. and uh it talks about how they they worked with a uh like a, an upstart record label guy and they, he didn't know anything about distribution and it didn't sell it sold 100 copies and that was it or something like that that's a very weird specific thing to put in your bio <laughs> and i think that's like a very vindictive thing to be like hey asshole you fucked us up or something like i don't know yeah. it's just a very weird specific thing and i was like huh that's interesting i like i never knew that so it was just very interesting uh, but yeah, then they broke up. They, like I said, they reformed. It seems, I think they did like a couple reunion shows in the early 2000s. And then, uh, for whatever reason, they released a couple EPs in 2016 and 2017, as well as a remastered version of True Love Always. And, uh, yeah, I, like, I kind of listened to that stuff, um, while we were doing this. I didn't know they released so much new stuff, new material, but yeah. So I don't think they're like technically an active band, but I guess they'll, you know, they're, they're prone to releasing music here and there every once in a while, but uh, that's about it. But we will get into the the members separately right now, at least I will. Uh, first is the vocalist, Sean Messler. Uh, he's kind of the guy I knew in the band. Um, after Drowning Room, he went on to another band called Darwin Radio, which uh, no no trace of them on the internet outside of like you know, the name. <laughs> you can't find any music by them. And I was really curious because I remember them being kind of bad. I remember them being kind of like trying to aim for the radio or something like that. And uh, mm-hmm. I, w- I wish I could hear that because I'd, I'd like to know what it sounded like when 2023 years. But, uh, you know, so if you if you are, I think I think that might have been on Trip Machine too, Mr. Trip Machine. Maybe you should upload the, the Darwin radio yeah. for, uh, for the world. Put it on <laughs> the band camp or whatever. Maybe there's um, a reason he doesn't though. <laughs> may, maybe, that's why. We're inquiring minds want to know. Put that, yeah. put that Darwin radio up. Um, uh, Sean now lives in L.A., he is uh, a filmmaker. Um, I checked to make sure uh, he, he he does have an IMDb. I'm sorry, Darwin Radio is on Ides of March. Ides of March Records. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a real record label. No, they put out a bunch of shit. Ides of March. Uh, what are you doing? They put out fucking Poison the Well, Tear from the Red. So maybe they really are hiding Get on this shit, man. Yeah. Get it up. They gotta have a band camp somewhere. I'm gonna reach out to Ides of March and see why they're. That's funny. Is I could have like you know sometimes I'll start dicking around with this stuff earlier and then do mm-hmm. the real stuff later and i could have sworn the first night i sat down and looked around and i found it and listened to it and said oh it kind of sounds like drowning room <laughs> but, uh, but now i can't find anything about it yeah. i can't find any fever dream yeah. maybe they maybe everybody erased it as soon as they found out there's a drowning room episode shit, the first seven inch club shit, coming. Shit, shit, yeah. shit. 
Uh, but yeah, as I was saying, Sean is a filmmaker. I checked; he has an IMDb, but it's like all shorts and stuff. So I don't know if that's like his career, like his you know, like what's paying the bills or anything that like that. He's also a video game guy. He uh he like writes for video game websites. Again, I don't know if that's paying the bills, but it made me feel good because I always thought Sean was only like a couple years older than me, but he mm-hmm. is what I would qualify several years older than me, and because mm-hmm. uh, it says his, his birthday in IMDb, which is again like I would I would hide that I would I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm very embarrassed about my age I would hide I would hide it, but but uh, he's several years older than me, and that makes me feel good because. I feel like uh, like I feel like people could make fun of me and bully me for playing video games because I I'm still heavily game, mm-hmm. uh, but this gives me like a few years leeway of feeling okay about myself and uh, doing childish things. Um, Shane Chickless was the drummer. Uh, I remember he was a very young boy at the time in Drowning Room. He was like a high school boy, and yeah. uh, he he went on to a band called Joshua, which I vaguely remember. They play kind of like that early 2000s indie rock that was made by hardcore people type of music they, mm-hmm. they even had something on doghouse at some point uh he was also oddly enough in the ataris which it's like i don't know the story behind that but he was in the ataris for a few years even yeah. and uh he's currently i guess currently or at least most recently in a band called q dub which kudu i think it's kudu called. okay it is a uh, very weirdo music it's uh <laughs> it's a bagpipe and drum band and yeah. uh I was like, you could like if you go on his Facebook or see pictures of the band, uh, you might expect uh, like uh, you know maybe some music with some strong opinions, mm-hmm. like some some Aryan Nordic music or something. It's not like that, fortunately no. enough. Uh, he seems to be a good dude. He, I remember him being like a really friendly, nice kid back in the day. Uh, so it seems he's doing good uh, with his weird drumming drumming bagpipe band. Mm-hmm. I listened to a couple songs. It's definitely not my thing. It was definitely not what I was expecting either. Definitely unique, so uh, mm-hmm. good for him. Uh, the next two guys, Greg Nazak was the bassist in Drowning Room. He also went on to Drowning Rate ra- ra- uh, Drowning. He went on to Darwin Radio, mm-hmm. and he also went on to uh, a couple other popular Hudson Valley new metal or new metal <laughs> Hudson Valley <laughs> uh, metalcore bands, Robots and Empire, and When Dreams Die. Uh, I cannot find anything about what Greg is up to now outside of doing Drowning Room reunion shows. Yeah. And um, Carl Krebs was a guitarist. I could not find anything on Carl. All he did was Drowning Room, and then he pieced out. And this is insane because these two dudes have recorded music in 2017. Yeah. And uh, it's not like they – like I respect Greg and Carl for having no internet footprint uh, <laughs> recording music. Like if you look their names up – uh, Carl Krabs is a name that uh, a lot of people have. That's not yes. a name. I would say maybe one person has that. Nope. There's no. thousands of people. There's even another fucking guitarist named Carl Krebs. And I assume it's not him because he lives in Australia. So I yeah, assume no. it's not the same guy. Could be. I don't know. Uh, so that I didn't guy, like that guy's quite a bit older than I think Carl yeah. would be. Do you? Yeah. So I didn't like I like I said, I didn't want to do too much digging deep and getting some wrong facts and saying Carl's a Trump supporter or something. And then, you know having it not be true so so yeah greg and carl are just like all i could find about them are uh our drowning room so scott have you done any better looking up uh drowning room clues oh also i, I forgot actually i forgot to mention that um i always wondered about the name drowning room because if you google it drowning room it's uh it's the name of a book but it's like a lot of bands name themselves out their books back then but yeah. it's not the type of book some hardcore dude would read so it's like it's not after that and it, it turns out there is a band called lament from new york who had a, a seven inch called drowning room oh. and they're then they're just like we're gonna we're gonna steal that because it sounds cool 
And again, this is still like a cycle though. So I don't know if Lament read that weird book called The Drowning Room mm-hmm. or they also were just like, I think that sounds cool. And <laughs> I don't, I'm never going to read the book either way. It's, it is a cool sounding name, but like the book has nothing to do with anything cool at all. So it's just a, one of those names. Sorry to cut you off, Scott. Oh, that's okay. There's an interview with Sean where he says that Carl didn't do any bands, that everybody else did bands and Carl. Yeah. Gave up, but he did start a company named Krebs Carpeting. Mm. They have a solid five star rating on HomeAdvisor.com. So great job, Carl. Uh, that, that, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, Greg kept pretty busy, and he has lots of connection to the famous boys of Mindforce. Oh. Uh, I, I didn't realize that Mindforce. I, I don't really know much about Mindforce. I don't really listen to them or anything. I didn't know that they were so uh, connected to the Hudson Valley scene. But they like two of the guys were in When Dreams Die and yeah. Robots and Empire. And the singer was in like Living Laser and Winter Long, which are also Greg Nazak bands from later. So those guys were pretty intertwined. Uh, Robots and Empire rang a bell for me, and I don't remember why, other than them being named after a book that I know of. Like, <laughs> did they get in some like message board smoke back then or something? Is there some reason that I know their name? There was some street beef with When Dreams Die. I don't know if there is. I don't know if there was some street beef with Robots and Empire too, but maybe. I just feel um, like they were one of those bands that became like a punchline on one of our message boards for. I do <laughs> for know, some weird I do know a lot of this was connected. I know. Dar, I think yeah, Jeff Menig was in Dar, Darn Radio, and I remember he was a big Booker at the time when we were in bands and stuff. So there was that, but I think there was some beef between Lariat and When Dreams Die. So. Mm. So uh, nice. I, I think that might have been a little before my time, a little before my message board time. I mean, so you might have caught a little of that, and maybe mm-hmm. Robots and Empire was mixed in with that. But uh, Winterlong's kind of good. Uh, it's kind of like you know, mathy, proggy, post-hardcore. I, the vocals are kind of interesting. Like they do, they do a lot of arranging that like those bands don't usually do that much formal vocal arranging. It's pretty like I might listen to it, which is pretty rare for most <laughs> of this research shit that we do. I couldn't find anything else about him other than he's credited on a 2017 All Out War record uh, mm. as backing vocalist with everybody else from the Hudson Valley. Um, <laughs> they all yeah. get the day off from school yeah. to go record with All Out War. <laughs> the, the bell rang in town. <laughs> uh, yeah, Shane seems to have done all right as a drummer, and I did watch a bunch of Kudu. Uh, well, first of all, I listened to some Joshua. I was familiar with them. I was familiar with them previously. They started out pretty good. They were kind of like, kind of like jaw boxy. Like, yeah. so, so it's like funky, emo y stuff. Like, it's kind of, it's catchy. It's interesting. And then they became the kind of emo that has piano ballads. And I tap out <laughs> when that takes place. And he does a project called Boom Boom Shake, which is him and a band playing behind a belly dancer. Huh. And then he does Kudu. So he's kind of in the, entertainment drumming uh, sphere <laughs> like now and uh, he he says that kudu uh is a badass warrior bagpipes band i dispute that claim uh, the badass <laughs> nah, i'm just kidding it's it, it, i would say like for what they are it is actually it, it it's pretty badass because mm-hmm. they come out dressed like something that's halfway between like black metal and highlander yeah like crazy weird armor and they do the drummers go pretty sick like the drummers go are, are playing hard crazy beats not like metal beats, but they're just always bashing the shit out of their drums. I don't like to hear bagpipes at mm. all. I don't even, but these guys, I, the one set, they kick over all their drums and start, you know, knocking shit over at the end. So they're, they're the coalesce of uh, Ren Pair <laughs> music, I guess. Um, and then Sean, uh, he did the Darwin Radio. He also did a band named Red Devil Suit. Who I kind of vaguely remember that, yeah. I think it involved drowning room people. And it's, speaking of coalesce again, it is kind of coalesce It's kind of like mm. heavy heavier noisier like the vocals are a little bit deeper and i read an interview with him that's the last band he did for for a while like he did that and then kind of went off to 
pursue his his life of video gamer and a, and mm. a movie maker. But there's two Red Devil Suit records on Bandcamp, and they're both from 2020, and they sound kind of modern. So I don't know if he re- resurrected that band too after the Drowning Room resurrection didn't take off, or or what, or if he just released them and that's the date he put on them. Um, also in that interview, he says he's really gotten into the Deftones. So, mm. you know, everything really does just continue to trend toward new metal, no matter what we do. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's a video game. Re- I think he's a video game reviewer on a couple of websites and he, pre- and the vid- the movies he does are for a thing called just scare me, which is almost like when you join one of those apps that steals 10 bucks from you, if you don't go to the gym, <laughs> except it's movies. Like if you don't make a horror movie every year, you lose a hundred bucks or something like that. Oh so he has God. all these five minute movies on his YouTube channel that are like horror movies and they're, they're, you know, they're made, they're, they're well-made there. There's a production value to him. So I assume he actually has some sort of training. Um, and then the rest of his channel is many, many streams of him gaming. I don't game. I'm not like Mike. I'm not a child. I don't game. Uh, so I don't know what these, they all look like dark souls to me. He plays about a thousand games that all look like really giant, difficult bosses. And you're some mess of armor and magic that is chasing it. And, um, he games under the name into another, which explains huh. why his Facebook is almost all just him changing the into another logo that is at the top of his page every month. He, he refreshes that almost every every month. Yeah, I, I was I for, he I saw like an interview he did for some gamer website, and yeah. he like listed his favorite games, and it, I was like, I can't bro down with this guy anymore. Like we're <laughs> we're on a different levels. I play bro games. He plays like <laughs> thinking man's games, and I know I don't do that shit. I just yeah. play FIFA and COD and say slurs. On my microphone, I don't really say slurs. That's a that's a joke. That's a little joke. But <laughs> but yeah, I just I play bro games. <laughs> uh, yeah, and other than that, all four band members are in the reunions. Like they all came back for the reunions, along with a guy named Matt Pietro Gallo, who I don't know what he's from. He was he's from. I'm pretty sure that's the dude from Eventide, which okay um, is a band that's been on the uh, the to do list for a year now for this episode for this thing but every time i'm like i'm about to dig it out we do another connecticut pan and, and i just don't always want to glom onto one thing but <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah. I, I was like i watched like a newer video and i was i was telling scott my my eyes are bothering me i i got some problems with my eyes so i was like <laughs> i think I, was, I couldn't tell i was one of the guys look too young to be but i yeah maybe maybe that's all uh all mm-hmm. them i couldn't really tell the 2016 video that's out there looks like it's just the four guys so i assume yeah. it's just those four guys yeah. Oh, and Mike, like, I don't really have any connection to these guys other than that all the same people who wear the all-out war hoodies that I know from Kingston and <laughs> those places, they're all, like, day-to-day friends with Sean. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, this was on a, a record label called Trip Machine Laboratories or Laboratories, depending mm-hmm. on uh, if you are Dr. Frankenstein. I think that's <laughs> depends on how you pronounce it. And uh, they are still active to this day, uh, but they've been active. They started in 1994. And uh, they've only had 58 releases, so it's more quality over quantity with them. So, yeah. uh, you know, this is almost 30 fucking years, and they've only done 58 releases. A lot of it is the same release, so yeah. it's... Um, but well, I think I think that was a big break. I think that was a huge, yeah. long break. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think they really recently put out that band, uh, Soul Blind, speaking of Deftones. Mm-hmm. So they're, <laughs> they're still putting out stuff, but I like... I mean, I should say they're still putting out contemporary stuff, not, not their been putting out stuff uh so they put out a lot of uh kind of like hudson valley poughkeepsie type bands again all out war even though they didn't originally put that out but they're keeping that all out war seven inch alive atlas shrugged which i feel is probably a band that's been requested countless times and i just don't own it so i can't can't do anything and and they didn't put out inner dam but that's another one that always gets requested from that area Mm -hmm. um the aforementioned robots and empire they put out uh, the bulldoze the final beat down cd which is a big one 
for uh, me and my friends with honor most precious blood that living laser band again um unrestrained which i think was from seattle and they're kind of a big band pale horse from connecticut uh, fuming mouth i can't remember where they're from uh, a couple all-out war things mind force they put out uh early some early mind force that it's probably bankrolling the, the rest of the yeah. uh yeah, yeah. the rest of the uh the the ordeal now um jukai jukai is a big man yeah uh yeah that's about it that's it's uh about it so if it's it's possible you don't know these guys if you're not from uh the area the northeast but uh they, they've been kicking around for a while trip machine i always just, like trip machine laboratories sounds like some skateboard shit i always assumed it was some drug shit i've always been into drugs so uh i thought it was cool they they uh they have a little kung fu guy as yep. their uh their thing so yeah I've, I've been i've pretty much grown up with trip machine labs in my uh my my life I can absolutely confirm Trip Machine is a drug reference. It's okay. directly a dr- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't listen to the whole thing because it's pretty long, but he does he does a, a podcast interview with um, a podcast called Your Life in America. And I kind of skipped around and I didn't have time to li- It's like two hours. But uh, it's pretty good because he uh, talks about a lot of real ass old hardcore topics. Like he's not just some, you know, he actually. He, so the label name is inspired by Art Monk Construction. Okay. You know, that, that label. Yeah. yeah. Uh, put out heroin and stuff like that so respect for that that's pretty neat and uh he calls it trip machine because that was his nickname because he did so much drugs <laughs> that his friends said hey here's the trip machine here he comes he's on <laughs> he's on something at all times it's organic um i think this label took a huge siesta in about 99 uh that he, he is his linkedin says that this uh label was active from 94 to 99 they didn't update it again and then he woke up and <laughs> 2007 ready to put out more all-out war basically that's where he starts (laughs) and two things even though this discography is like jam-packed with 2010s it bands like he's got quite a few yeah (laughs) pretty well-known bands uh he said in a 2018 interview that his all-time best-selling records by far since restarting the label are the bulldoze and the all-out war which that blows my mind i i mean i I makes sense yeah because those Two bands have fan bases who probably still use the CD player with the cassette deck adapter in their cars. <laughs> they don't don't fuck with no fucking MP3s, dude. Uh, so I I get it. And the other thing is that Trip Machine Labs Laboratories on his LinkedIn, but he also holds down an extremely real looking career as a pharmaceutical project manager. Okay. Uh, so he's fully employed and still doing this, you know. I would say fairly successful little hardcore label. Yeah. I don't understand why he needs to work at all. He should be sitting yeah. pretty well at this drowning room on his label and, uh, and all this. Other yeah, he shit, does. But, uh, he d- he does. Uh, he does a distro too, so he's still selling. Yeah. I don't know if he updates it, but I remember a couple of years ago buying some uh, some premium records off him for retail prices when they were definitely collectors' prices at that point. He also put out, and it's not on the. He, I don't think it's on. It's not on the discogs at all. But he put out a Nate Wilson band. He put out the. Uh, is it Fred? No, he might have put out the Pariah record or maybe it is mm. right now i can't fucking remember he put it on a cassette and then it came out on um on oh yeah swallowed by fog it's the pariah cassette yep. yeah yeah it's the pariah cassette he put out the pariah cassette a few years ago and then i think they may, may have released it on an actual record but um but yeah he's the first one to put that out and I, that was when i was like whoa trip machine's still around and uh <laughs> that's that's how i found their website again so uh yeah again another thing on this podcast connected to nate wilson <laughs> yep. uh so okay now we can get this record out onto a tray nice uh so i kind of almost want to concede my time to scott because uh i think anything i'm gonna say about this scott's gonna put it way more eloquently and flowery flowery <laughs> 
Uh, there's a lot to criticize about this record. It's uh, a very awful looking record. It's yeah. uh, uh, it's H.R. Uh, Geiger is the cover. And um, it reminded me we've done almost 80 episodes of this podcast. And we haven't done enough records that have blatantly ripped off a famous artist and there there was a lot there there was a lot they credit them they credit them on it too yeah. i think don't they? yeah i think maybe that's how they thought it worked like oh just credit them and then uh you know it'll be cool with it because uh, i don't think that's how it works but yeah we've we've covered records that ripped off like kind of unknown artists unless you were in school library or something like that but uh to just rip off hr geiger is pretty ballsy it's a pretty yeah. ballsy move <laughs> uh, but back then there was no rules you could do that uh, so we yeah so we have H.R. Geiger on the cover. Uh, we have Drowning Room written in uh, kind of a varsity font, but it's also kind of wavy. Like, yeah. Uh, it's kind of a druggy varsity font. And then it's uh, Divinity Syndrome um, in the old English. So you know it's kind of tough at least. Mm-hmm. Right on top. It has a small outline, small stroke, one point stroke on that. Default. That's Default. default stroke. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's not too bad when you're looking at it. It's not like the, the fonts do not mix at all. Nothing mixes to this. The... Uh, <laughs> You can't. I. I'm not positive. I. Th- I think the. Uh, the Geiger is pretty blown out. I think this is. Yeah. <laughs> was blown up a little too much. Starting to look like <laughs> shit. Uh, but then the the back is the real. That's the real puzzler right there. That's uh. That's a lot going on. Yeah. Um. I have a crip- crippling handicap called color blindness, and uh. This is just like stabbing me in the eyes because there's there's i don't think i ever noticed until like i used to own this record back in the day i sold it years ago but um i don't think i ever noticed that there was green on this because i can't see green but there's there's green i assume words it just looks like blobs to me i think it's words mm-hmm. in old english and green uh, it's the song titles yes yeah, the song titles in green yep. going vertically for some yep. reason uh behind the regular song titles in cursive going horizontally in the cursive wedding wedding invite font um, and there's like a blue background of waves or like it almost looks like an ultrasound or something. Uh, it's ugly. It's hideous. It's, uh, yeah. There's a song on here called Hideous and <laughs> where they got the theme for this record. Uh, the one the one kind of, uh, I guess, credit I'll give them is the, the back cover photo is uh, just the band. It's like their promo photo. And not a lot of people doing that back in the day. You just had a shitty live photo. So yeah. they're kind of, uh, I guess, on the up and up of just putting your damn promo photo right in the back of it. They also have the scratchy border, which is like the one border people had back then. I don't know how yeah. that works. I don't know if that was like a pack-in with some fucking computer <laughs> program, but everybody used that scratchy border. Uh, the inside is no less easy on the eyes. It's at least mostly all text. Uh, the lyrics are formatted so basically uh one set of lyrics are right side formatted the other side is left side formatted so there's no space in between the songs <laughs> it's um I, I definitely in the 90s i probably thought this was cool as hell yeah because uh, i didn't know how to use a computer in 1996 i very proficient in computer now so i can tell you this is dumb this is real dumb <laughs> it's a uh, hard to read it yeah. sucks it looks like shit and there, again there's fucking vertical silhouetted shadow <laughs> words going going down and there's another silhouette and shadows beyond that there's layers of shadows on this thing uh the, you could even say this layout is at war with shadows uh, <laughs> but it's it's very difficult to read there's a lot of shit going on um the inside the inside of the lay the uh the little insert the centerfold of the insert it's just band photos it's pretty easy to look you want that you want the band photos you want to see what the guys look like um and then there's a huge list of thank yous uh it's in about six point font and uh at my my ripe age i only go down to about 10 point font if you're gonna <laughs> write anything in under 10 point font i'm not reading it i skimmed to see if it was anybody i knew 
couldn't really see anybody new couple people here and there but uh nothing notable <laughs> to me yeah. at least but but uh but yeah this is a a, a layout very much steeped in the 90s yeah. this was uh you know as soon as probably 2001 hit this was probably the worst looking layout on earth but in 1996 i definitely probably thought this was cool uh, in 2023, this is uh, this should be hidden in a closet. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I think I think it's pretty rad that they took the most overused and instantly recognizable artists in all of rock music. <laughs> but but they also managed to crop this image in such a way that I, I didn't notice at first. I, I thought it was like a shelter <laughs> record because it looks like it could be Shiva or something to me. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's just some some goddess or something. And I was like, oh no, that's the cover of every H.R. Geiger compilation you like, it's called Lee too. And he always uses it as the cover of his big, you know, Toshin books or whatever those books, yeah. those coffee table books. Uh, I don't think it matters what this painting is about. I think they probably just wanted a face that looked like some sort of a goddess or something to go with yeah. the record title. Everything we talk about from this point on is definitely the most excruciatingly nineties shit you can imagine. <laughs> Even down to the trip machine logo, having Kung Fu stuff going on and having the chop sake font all around it. That's like really like, you know, uh, X large magazine reader, uh, <laughs> type shit. We're missing, we're mixing cursive fonts, black letter fonts, times new Roman though. Like when they finally had the chance to go for, go for it, they were like, no, we'll just leave the default on the lyrics. <laughs> they just ran out of energy. And, uh, like there's just all these blocks of text blurred and destroyed floating around in the background. It's like, it's the, 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 I think that the, the, the edge around these photos is just Sharpie, which I respect. I think yeah. but if you look at the back cover, it has that kind of like weird bleed through around that edge. That's not in the photo. That looks like Sharpie pen to me. Hmm. So I think he made these, they made these, uh, these borders themselves, which is cool. You know, a little hand, little hand, uh, hand, handmade action, there, a little Etsy action, but it's not the, here's the, here's the thing. It's not unskilled. I don't like it, but it's not unskilled. The person who did this, like, knew how to use a computer and knew how to do things. Because this is this is the way that you did shit if you read a thing called, I've mentioned it before, if you read Raygun Magazine or if you read any of the design manuals of, of the early 90s, this is what they were doing. They were just breaking everything so you couldn't see it and then floating big, crazy, digitized text in the background and making a mess. It's unreadable. So I looked up the designer, Chad Timrek. Sure enough, he's still in the game. So he was, he was a real designer. This was his thing. He works for a clothing company now. He's probably doing real work. He probably has people underneath him who answer to him, who are designers. I'm gonna, I should send them this record. Like, <laughs> this is what your boss did. This is what, do you know what your boss did? <laughs> I had a drowning room record of some, I had some kind of, I think I had a tape and I could have sworn it was a tape, but I remember that it came with this same easy E insert. Hmm. And I remember even back then feeling kind of bad about it. <laughs> like a lot of people that I know from that, the sort of downstate punk scene had a habit of using hip hop slang really yeah. ca Caucasianly. Like <laughs> I remember they kept what, what, what the dillio in active vernacular way. Like they probably still do. They probably still greet each other. Like saying, what's up, yo, yo, what up, yo. And like <laughs> they have a picture, they have a picture of easy E and it says dropping fat beats for your booming system that, you know, that's, that's a tough thing to put in your, in your. <laughs> This yeah, is it. Scott's talking about uh, Trip Machine had like an ad for yeah. upcoming releases inside. I just I completely forgot to talk about it, but yeah, there's like an ad for upcoming Trip Machine releases inside the mm -hmm. record. Uh, also, they thank Swedish all female straight edge band Donuts in the thanks list, and then in parentheses say "just kidding." <laughs> Why can't you thank the Donuts? What's yeah, wrong with thanking the fucking Donuts? <laughs> Maybe that's some beef. I can't remember that. Maybe that's what I want to know. Yeah. 
I want to know if some obscure band from Poughkeepsie, New York had seen drama with ladies from Umea, Sweden, who came <laughs> here like once in their lives. If somehow got in with it. But yeah, this walks a fine line for me because I really like that the only color they use is Tron blue. Uh, but this is this is from an era design that I'm embarrassed to have also participated in. So I don't like to see it thrown back in my face like this. I did stuff that looked like this back then. So there you go. It's uh, something definitely stuck in the 90s. Uh, yeah. Now we can actually review the music on this. This is four tracks. This is uh, full sound. We got yeah, full sound. Yeah. This is uh, at least six six plus minutes on each side. That's pretty much full sound. Uh, so points right there. You got points right there. Um, fortunately, going to take points off of the first track. We're going to get into that right now. The first track is called Divinity Syndrome. off with a Nick Jackelson Joker from the Batman 1989 sample. Uh, you can't do that. You can't do the you can't do the highest grossing film of 1989. <laughs> and uh, like everybody knows this. You got you got to put something mysterious. You can't yeah. you can't do that. So that's uh that's points off. Um there this band is just they're dr- drowning room they're laying on a thick groove. It starts yeah, yeah. off with a just laying on the thick groove. This is just uh just one guitarist, one bassist. It's nothing flashy. It's just a thick groove. You hear the bass clearly, you hear the guitar clearly. They're just grooving, grooving. Uh, maybe I don't think grooming. Maybe I don't know. Uh, singing is uh, it's the usual kind of screaming, but it's like it sounds like every line is going to be his last line forever. He sounds yeah. like this is it for him. It's his death rattle. Uh, but as well as clean Richie Birkenhead inspired vocals, um, which was a novelty at the time. It was a very very uh, kind of novel to do screaming and clean singing. So this was like whoa. This guy could do both things at, at once. That's crazy. <laughs> um, I think me and Scott have stated that uh, we <laughs> Into Another has never been our thing. Yeah. Sean was a huge Into Another fan. He has Into Another tattoo. I remember that was the thing we talked about a lot was he would make fun of me for having a chokehold tattoo and uh, <laughs> made fun of him for having an Into Another tattoo. And, yeah. uh, you know... I, you know, I I think uh, history would dictate that Chokehold uh, is still a more important band. Um, and uh, you know, I, I didn't know shit about Dick about music back then, yeah. uh, so I didn't know you could double up your vocals. And uh, it was very brave of Sean to not go that route with the clean vocals. But you know, he pulls it off. If you are into the Richie Birkenhead style of singing, which I'm, I like Underdog, but he's kind of more shouting in Underdog. He's yeah. definitely trying to do some other shit you know, into another. Uh, this isn't like crazy, wacky Richie Birkenhead, though. He just kind of wants that same kind of register of, of Richie. So it's still singing. It just kind of sounds like Richie a little. Um, but like I said, he pulls it off for what it is. Uh, this song also has the one hardcore drum solo in it. It has that in it. Um, 
there's some there's some filter on the vocals at, at, uh, after that, so they were aware that you could filter vocals and and uh, double them up and stuff. So it wasn't that they just it was a choice not to double up the clean singing. Yeah. Um, what fuck? What does this note mean? Oh, uh, <laughs> I just wrote down what what's this song about? But I know what this song's about, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that. I I I, I kind of write. <laughs> I kind of write the notes in real time, and I don't ever. Re- I'm not like high or anything, so I don't like really fuck what up. What band so, is this? What, yeah, band? <laughs> what am I talking about? But no, this song is basically about a, a, I guess, a lady, a woman who's like very vain and, uh, you know, like uh, is more into doing makeup and shit like that, and how uh, you know, her beauty will fall, and you mm-hmm. know, she's gonna just be a horrible person because she is vain and shit like that. It's just yeah. common shit. Uh, she's you gonna know, run out of makeup and when she runs out of makeup, <laughs> it's over. It's over as soon as she runs out of the makeup. Uh, I think at this time when this record came out, this was probably my favorite track. I think this was like a big track for them too. It's also the name of the seven inch. So, so it's a good song. It's a good drowning room song. I like I said, I didn't. I haven't listened to fucking drowning room, and I don't. God knows how long. Probably the nineties. Like I don't mm-hmm. think I put on this record after it hit the year two thousand. And uh, so it was. It was like a, an adventure going back because I knew they were like I. I knew the singing deal. But yeah. I just didn't know how like kind of like kind of simple the groove was on this. I, it was yeah. just like I was expecting a lot more twists and turns. I, but uh, your your simple teenage brain computes things differently than your old uh, kind of addled Alzheimer's brain. So <laughs> I was expecting some twists and turns. Not a lot of twists and turns. Just a, a fine, easy groove. I like that shit though. I like grooving. So mm-hmm. this is a fine song. Uh, it's it's super weird that the day I listened to this, I just happened to have looked at a post from our friend Tom checking out some pictures of Jack Nicholson as the Joker hanging out on set. <laughs> so so I, I had no idea I'd be getting such a stiff dose of the Joker baby that day. I didn't know, I didn't know that was coming. Um, so I saw Drowning Room and I've been spending the last few days trying to remember my opinion, like thinking about it. And I think I have this vision of them in my brain playing. And I think it wasn't there wasn't it wasn't well attended. Maybe it wasn't going that well. And I think the vocalist just kind of came down on the floor, like in his like Adidas windbreaker drip, his yeah. kind of like casuals thing <laughs> that he he had going on back then. And I think he was kind of like singing and moshing, or dancing or something while he sang. And I think I didn't like it. I think like whatever you would have called cringe back then uh, is what I was feeling. And for you know for the record, I look bad, I feel bad, I'm bad on stage, I still do it. But I'm a shit show when I'm on stage. But it's just like whatever was going on with this performance, I remember feeling awkward. And it just stayed in my brain for the last 25 years. I just remember this being like an awkward set. But also, like, I thought their name was cool Mm because there was no drowning pool yet to ruin drowning for everybody. (laughs) And and also, I didn't get to see a lot of bands in person who had like screamy, harsh vocals yet. They were like one of the earlier bands I saw who had kind of like a, who like had kind of the screaming sound to it. So I wanted to like it. So I bought this thing but something about it told me i wasn't going to be a drowning room fan and um <laughs> i listen to this now and I, and I remain conflicted because i i do like the harsh vocals i think these are pretty cool harsh vocals and i think he's really good at him and he hits you know he hits hard he hits the beats hard but i was never a fan of this kind of like section eight swamp metal hardcore groove yeah. riffing i don't really <laughs> it doesn't really do a lot for me uh the one thing i could say for certainty is that i wish the clean vocals were missing i don't <laughs> find them to be passing muster <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, 1996. They're they're passing. I think. Yeah. <laughs> now, now it's it's a stretch. Yeah. Um, okay. The second track is called Hideous. Hideous. 
Traditional hardcore. Is that kind of uh, upward mobility to it? Um, this also does have the hardcore drum solo, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, uh, the the drummer is very young at the time. He's a very young boy, so yeah. it's okay. He only knew one drum solo. He's in a band where drums are front front and center, so he yep. probably knows several drum solos now. So yeah. he's a <laughs> he's really matured. Um, well, even by True Love Always, I, I played that a little bit of that, and he's all over. He's playing every drum at all times on <laughs> yeah. that, so he went for it. Yeah, there. I remember him being kind of like one of those one of those Mike Putz types, just yeah. a real fucking enthusiastic drummer. Um, this uh, the song the song uh, kind of breaks in the middle, and there's a voice that goes no, 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 <laughs> and it sounds like the Evil Dead voice, and uh, yeah. that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool oh, effect. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, the speaking of effects, they do the broken radio filter, uh, tried and true hardcore staple. Yeah. Uh, but he's screaming over it, which is not you usually do the the broken radio for the talking parts. Mm-hmm. It sounds really cool when he screams over it. it sounds fucking disgusting. Um, I wish I thought of that when when I was in a band because I would <laughs> just did the whole broken radio filter over all my vocals. It would sound fucking amazing. Um, it's a cool effect. I once again somewhere for some reason wrote down what's this song about. And I know what this song's about. I don't know why I kept writing this down. I'm not even drunk. It's weird. Uh, but I actually don't like. On on like if you read these lyrics, it seems like it's about somebody being being hard, somebody being raped. Um, so I don't know if he's singing from a, a woman's <laughs> perspective or uh, this is figurative or he he. I don't think he was raped, so I think he's like a woman crusader. I don't really know. But what I do know is at the end, which was uh, just you know for I guess. For intents and purposes, would be the sing along slash mosh part. He yep. goes, "You will not rape again. I <laughs> vow, you will not rape again." <laughs> and uh, that's that's cool in yeah. in theory, but you have like a bunch of people singing in your face, "You will not rape again." To you, yeah. And that is, <laughs> but that's uh, just bad logistics. You got to think that out. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, probably. I mean, you probably don't think about it in heat of the moment, but you know, thinking back, like, oh, all those people are screaming, "You will not rape again!" at me. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, decent song. Uh, a bunch of times during like the first two thirds of this song, I wanted it to go somewhere else because, <laughs> like, I feel like they they wrote the same. Like, they wrote several fast parts that are all the same tempo and are only yeah. a little bit different. And even the vocals are kind of getting tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> like they they sound like, hey, we I just sang this over three very similar riffs. Can we drop that and get to the breakdown by now? And um, yeah, when you do get to the breakdown, it's weird because that sort of vocoder, Evil Dead voice is sort of moaning. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just saying no or something. But it kind of almost sounds like it's moaning over the music. Yeah. And I, I like when a vocoder shows up, but this is if this is meant to be like an orgasm over a song about like imagining yourself <laughs> avenging a sexual assault, that's probably off message. Um, <laughs> If Mike had recorded vocals with the broken vocal effect, I would have come in and deleted that because I don't, <laughs> I don't like the broken mic. <laughs> I, I think like there's definitely a lot of people who do that, especially like that, that's a kind of a coalesce thing again, is to yeah. sing through the broken mic and sing hard. And it's just for me, I just don't love it. But it was it was in the style back then. I understand. Uh, I'm prepared to go over this in detail every time it comes up, though. Broken mic, 
talking, any of those things, they're out. I don't, I don't like them. But I think it's yeah, I think it's kind of weird that the first chunk of this song is kind of repetitive, only to have them go on a really bizarre journey. Like the whole rest of the song is like every everything they could think of, and all kinds of weird stuff to do, and the big sing along. And I also like that '90s pong snare drum has entered the chat uh, <laughs> definitively on this song. Uh, then we flip the side over. First track on side B is Sunday's Best. classify as a Pearl Jam intro. This is just a straight up Pearl Jam song being played um, on guitar. <laughs> and, uh, that seems to happen a lot in 90s hardcore. It seems to happen a lot of people playing Pearl Jam parts or other <laughs> parts yeah. of songs that already existed. I think maybe in the 2023 Drowning Room, if they do reunions uh, again, or if they play the song live, we could delete the Pearl Jam part. Just start yeah. after the Pearl Jam intro. It, it's fine. I think the song has, um, it has like a real rockin', I roam these city streets type of vibe to it. Uh, I think it's yeah. fucking cool. I don't think like, I don't I don't think this was my favorite Drowning Room song back in the day. Uh, but now I think this is my favorite Drowning Room song. I wish it was a little sleazier or spookier. Either way, it would have been, yep. been uh, really good. Um, and then the rockin' vibe is kind of eventually succumbs to a groovy breakdown. And uh, there's more clean vocals and these are somewhat layered so they knew that you could layer the vocals but yeah uh, but but yeah like i said i don't think this was my favorite drowning room song in 1996 but it was probably my favorite drowning room song in 2023 uh, i wish they expanded a little more on the sound and maybe they did and i don't remember yeah so the good part is that i think most of the song rules i <laughs> other than like once you I, this kind of intro i just wouldn't have listened to i just would have like ignored the <laughs> swishy whatever's going on stuff but i love this like galloping riff and the overlapping vocals it's just, it's really, it's like tough as nails. This whole main part of the song, I'm way into it. But uh, this only happens a couple times, I think. But I wonder, like Richie Birkenhead, maybe he did this. But who would be the influence that would have you just speak, sing a line now and then? Like not singing. Because he gets that one part. It's all super hard screaming. And then for just one line, he goes, as I smile for a while. <laughs> and that doesn't happen again. Like he, then he starts, goes back to screaming. Like my brain is insisting some kind of crossover band might have done some stuff like that. So maybe it was allowed. Yeah, but it feels like a weird decision just to like catch your breath for one line. In the, <laughs> but the real bitter pill is that once it gets to the big sludgy breakdown, he just starts clean singing over that whole part. And I think the vocals needed some beef. And I think that they knew it too, because on uh, Tr uh, True Love Always, whatever that album's called, all of a sudden there's like lots of layers and lots of investment in those parts <laughs> that he just decided to make them bone dry on this record. And I think it kind of doesn't really do it for the hard part. But what I am a big fan of is punchlines. And I love that the song ends with something like, you know, you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps kind of joke because it's like <laughs> the whole song is very serious. Yeah. And then the last line is like, when God shined fortune on everyone's head, I overslept. Yeah. 
And I love it. Nine stars yeah. for that part, uh, for, for ending your song with like a Garfield yeah. poster <laughs> uh, punchline. It's like real Garfield coffee stuff. <laughs> um, the last track is called Divider. <laughs> Scott was talking about a lot of the back and forth, screaming and then doing a couple lines, uh, clean singing. Not into it. Not into it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you gotta you gotta do like a lot of screaming and then a lot of clean singing. You can't just yeah. go back and forth. It's weird. Um, this song, I don't know what it's really about, but it reads like it's about getting divorced. And, yeah. Uh, that's that's heavy topics for twenty year olds and teens. <laughs> so, uh, it's, but that's how it reads out. It sounds like he's getting divorced, which makes this kind of like old dad hardcore, which is pretty cool in a way. You like. It would be cool to start it like, like you know these bands like even Drowning Room they they're making new music and it kind of just sounds like Drowning Room and it's just like it's stuck in time and that's how older people are when they make uh, new hardcore bands or they reunite their bands they're just like stuck in wherever they started at and it just kind of sounds like whatever. It would be cool to start a new band and just sing about being divorced and you know, <laughs> having mortgages and shit. Because, like, let's face facts. All the people that go to shows are fucking 40 and 50 now. Yeah. Like, just fucking sing about that stuff. Sing about mowing the lawn. Fuck. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sing about getting divorced. Make this make Divider actually about being divorced. Uh, this song has uh, the sweetest ever opening for a mosh call. But instead, they just do more clean singing. And he says, why do we let this divide us? And um, it's, uh, it, like I said, that's a perfect part for, like, no clit in the pit. <laughs> or last chance to dance, or anything like that. I can't remember if they ever did real mosh calls in uh, real life, but but uh, that's that's what I would use that part for. Um, and then after that, I, after the "Why do we let this divide us?" part, this is a good mosh going for the rest of the song. You can you can mosh for the rest of the song. Yeah. It's pretty good if you are into heavy moshing. Uh, I think this is the outside of that. I do think this is the weakest song on the record. Um, I think the other songs have like more notable parts to them. Uh, this also ends with a, a very now famous National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation sample yeah. where he says, uh, Hallelujah, holy shit, where's the Tylenol? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't take points off of that because uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation was a grower, not a shower. It was, um, it was like, no one really gave a shit about that movie when it came out. And uh, so I think it, by 1996, I can't remember, when it, I think it came out like 90, 91. It wasn't that that far removed. Um I don't think anybody gave a shit enough. Like, there's, there's probably, I probably didn't even know what it was from at the time. And now you can buy like a live, laugh, love style, like home kind of framed, uh, like cursive type of print <laughs> of holy, hallelujah, holy, holy shit, where's the title and all. So <laughs> listening to it now, it's pretty cringy. In 1996, I don't, I think that was kind of a, a little deeper cut. So that's a little better than the Batman sample. So uh, half points for that. But yeah, that's, uh, that's it. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to get too deep into this because I won't do it justice and I'll, I'll get into dark territory. But I think in one of the <laughs> one of the interviews, I think he kind of talks about 
some relationship stuff and it's kind of like, yeah, all my relationships suck. They all <laughs> fucking suck. <laughs> so I think he might be dealing with some of that kind of shit. I don't okay. know. Uh, uh, yeah, but up, like up till now, you, it's like you said, you could kind of excuse some of the clean parts, whether you like them or not, because they would be isolated. And this one, he's like, nope, this is stripes. This is plaid. That's going to be everywhere. You, there's nowhere you can hide from uh, these clean vocals are stitched in. So that does me in a little bit. But the thrash part in the middle of this song is so cool. The <laughs> I, They even did the impossible feat of making me accept a spoken part because he speaks a line, but then he roars in over the top of it. And it's great. It elevates it. And then uh, the whole hard part with all the stabby gang vocals, that's sick. Uh, I think he sings songs, a couple of those lines, but I don't care. It's like a really good way to end the record other than the Christmas vacation. Sam, <laughs> Actually, I, I've never thought about that movie at all till we we're in a band with, yeah. with our friend Kyle, yeah. who was a younger boy. And he was like super into this movie. I was like, Chris, yeah. Christmas vacation. He's like, oh, yeah, I love all the vacation movies. I love Las Vegas vacation. And he was like quoting to me. And I was like, oh, settle down. What? And I. Uh, yeah, it didn't dawn on me that people could be into this movie at all. And, you know, obviously it's been reevaluated. It's a classic now. But um, let me just get off on a little tangent about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Because yeah. it is a movie I did not give a shit. Um, I do like all the vacation movies. Like Kyle, I even like Vegas Vacation. I would probably even put Vegas Vacation over Christmas Vacation. But uh, <laughs> yeah. me and Kyle are, in, are kind of in rare territory when it comes to stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, I think now because I, I watched it. And like I said, my aforementioned Letterboxd, I did a review for it this year. And I mm. think I think the appeal now is because there I mean there was for a long long time the only Christmas movies you got were very wholesome they're very like like Christmas stories like the most cynical like a Christmas movie got and that bombed originally yeah and uh, but like but now like you get edgy Christmas movies too <laughs> yeah and it's like oh those are even worse than the wholesome ones so yeah. so national lampoons like straddles the line between cynical and uh like wholesome at the same time mm -hmm. so i think i think now it works out to be like a perfect christmas movie because it's not too edgy it's not too wholesome it's just kind of right in the middle it's kind of some real shit so if it's been a while since you've seen christmas vacation and you're looking for a christmas movie i, I would say to reevaluate that one it's also a really chunky movie it's got so many scenes yeah, like there's so much shit happens in that movie that it's easy to drop in and out of because there's just so much shit going on in that movie at all times. I forgot that the sledding scene was from that. I thought that was from Funny Farm because I've seen Funny Farm a million times. I've always seen Christmas a few times. I always thought that that sled scene was from Funny Farm, but that's just one second. That's like yeah. one second of the movie is the most famous sledding scene in all of film history, basically. Yeah. So that is the record in a nutshell. Uh, at the end of these, I do a little little rating system. Usually, I, I rate it on the whole package. If you are a new listener, I uh, I do the whole thing. It's not just the music for me. It's the whole total package, uh, the collectability of it, all that shit. This is not a as well as they they brag that it's sold. It's not a it's not a expensive record. The black version, which is what I'm reviewing, goes for like a buck. The rest of them go for the blue one, which is what I used to have, is like five five and up. So that's a little collectory, but um. But my rating system is either throw it in the trash, uh, just listen to it in streaming, uh, listen or buy it if you see it in the bargain bin, buy it for full price or buy it for collector's prices. This is tough because I don't think um, anybody outside of the Northeast has any fucking reason to listen to the Drowning Room 7-inch. I don't think <laughs> it's going to translate. I don't think they have, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think they're. They're in that Age of Apocalypse wheelhouse because Age of Apocalypse is a newer kind of Hudson Valley band that's huge now. And mm -hmm. I'm sure Age of Apocalypse, I'm sure they're somewhat influenced by Drowning Room. But, yeah. you know, when I hear them, I just hear Section 8. And uh, <laughs> Section 8 is slept on. So if Section 8 slept on, Drowning Room is super, super duper slept on. 
So I can't rightfully say you should go out and spend your whole entire paycheck on a Drowning Room 7-inch, but if you are in the Northeast area, if you are in New York, if you do like bands like Age of Apocalypse and the the Hudson Valley sound that's sweeping the nation right now. (laughs) It really is. Yeah, this this is worth full price. You should have this in your collection if you if you are into that shit that's going on right now this is definitely full price everybody else you can avoid this you can just listen to it on streaming but if uh you are into that shit or if you're just a nostalgic dude just uh yeah just pick this up full price yeah this is uh dicey because on the one hand i've spent about 25 years half remembering this band as being kind of low-key bummer and maybe <laughs> a little half-ass and i don't think that now i like i think it's just i, I think the awkwardness was real i think it was like a weird show but I don't think that they were bad. Like now that I've heard this, you know, the Sean's vocals are cool. I really like the vocals. The band seems to be on a mission. It doesn't sound bad, but the mission's a little too simple for me. Uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't really love how the guitars and stuff are done in this. Uh, I think a lot of times it was begging for some chords, show me some more chords or some noises or something else. And this dude adheres strictly to the power chord like it's a commandment of the Bible. He never leaves. <laughs> Like the the basic groove groove rocking kind of a uh, guitar playing, uh, and he does now. Like they, I think that they they learned this lesson because you learn listen to almost everything after this. They've expanded. They use some more chords, and they uh, they and they yeah. stick to the sort of the thrash and heavy parts that were really good on this record. And I think it rules. I think some producer stepped in and said, "Kids, guys, yeah, here's what you got to do: more chords, more thrashing." <laughs> but but the, these clean the clean vocals are from the pit of despair. Um, <laughs> fuck that I ain't having it nor is the crew so this loses at least one full point for that so I'm going to say 2.5 zipped up Adidas track jackets out of 5 for this record there you go uh, perfect score basically all right perfect <laughs> scores uh, yeah if you are if you are in the Hudson Valley area you got to pick this up you got to put it near your all out war paintings uh, everybody else you know <laughs> proceed with caution um next week i said it's going to be a special kind of state of mind recordings episode because not only are we doing the two reviews we talked about on the top of the show i forgot that state of mind recordings also requested uh seven inch so we're going to do that too mm. it's a uh, clockwise a band from long island i haven't listened to uh, probably just as long as i hadn't listened to drowning room so yeah. we're going to be talking about clockwise next week uh you have any last words scott i've never talked about clockwise before <laughs> but i can't wait to hear what monsters and maniacs come out to tell me they're excited to hear about Spore? Anyone's <laughs> excited to hear about Spore next week? I want to see what you look like. I want to see what you're about. <laughs> I got to know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a lot of people came out of the woodwork for Sam Black Church. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> so I same, same scene, person. I think so. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Fuck Charlie Daniels. <laughs> Fuck Charlie Daniels. <laughs>